Welcome to Back in Business. This is a conversation in our occasional interview and conversation series. And today, our business editor, Declan Curry, and I, Liz Barkley, CEO of Back in Business, are talking to Darren Jones, MP. Now, he's the member for Bristol Northwest. He's a Labour MP, and he is chair of the Business Energy Industrial Strategy Select committee a bit of a mouthful he's also a member of a long list of all party parliamentary groups that i am not going to read out but darren i think you are chair of the internet communications and technology group which would hint at uh, where some of your uh, passions and enthusiasms lie and also chair of the technology and national security group Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, this is the day after Acadia went into administration and, and Debenhams died. And it's the day after the latest vote on new tier restrictions in England to replace the second lockdown. It's the 2nd of December 2020. And uh, we want to talk to you about the impact on business in the UK of COVID-related restrictions. We're particularly concerned about small businesses and self-employed people. And as chair of the Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Select Committee, you have your ear to the ground. What's the picture that you're building up? Well, Liz, firstly, thanks for the invitation to be with you today. I'm delighted to um, be here. Uh, as the chair of the Business Committee, I was elected in May. Um, so I took over from Rachel Reeves, who's now in the uh, Labour shadow cabinet. And one of the things I wanted to do right from the beginning was to make sure that it wasn't just a select committee for ministers and well-lobbied industries, as important as they are, but was seen to be um, a channel for small businesses, for entrepreneurs, for innovators, for city leaders, for communities to be part of the kind of Westminster bubble discussion, which is often you know, referred to in a negative way. But we really wanted to understand what the kind of front line of business was really um, going through, through COVID. Um, so we, we've had um, small businesses, Federation of Small Businesses and others kind of give evidence and come before the committee. Um, we've also been hosting a series of private roundtables, um, which have been extremely popular and they're open for other businesses to take part in if they wish to do so via our website. We've had over 200 businesses already and on a, I think a fortnightly basis now we're doing private roundtables, not just with myself as chair, but with members who are of course cross party on a select committee, um, listening directly to businesses in different parts of the country. And look, it's, it's really tough. Um, you've got the COVID impact, you've got the gaps in economic support, you've got the inequalities around the tiered restrictions, but we've also got Brexit. Um, and then of course, you've got broader challenges, but also very urgent around, um, you know, net zero and climate change, where there's going to be a lot of asks of business as well over the coming months. So it's kind of a perfect storm, really, of, of oh, huge amounts of pressure, both from survival through to um, kind of long-term sustainability. And um, my criticism is I don't really feel like the business department has been a champion for business in government. They've, they've been listening, they've been doing some roundtables, but I'm not sure that anything's actually happened as a consequence. And you know, people who have highlighted problems in economic support and the issues around tiered restrictions and curfews and all of these issues, have been making their voices heard very loudly, including through me and through my committee. But it's really it's been really very difficult to persuade ministers to make the changes that we think are important to support businesses and jobs across the country. And um, I, I find that as difficult as I'm sure many of, you, of your listeners do as well. Well, what changes uh, do you think should be made? If you were the Secretary of State, how would you be doing it differently? 
Well, there's a few things that we've called for as a committee. The, the, early on in the pandemic, we called for more um, targeted financial support to the sectors that evidently needed it the most. So there are some parts of the economy that have done reasonably well, they've been able to carry on doing their work, been having workers who can work from home. In the early phases, there was the obvious risk around big manufacturing sectors, aerospace, automotive, who were already struggling anyway because of Brexit. And then, of course, the parts of the everyday economy, retail, hospitality, events, um, where there were things like the business rates um, deferral um, was kind of going to some big supermarkets when they didn't need it, but actually other parts of the economy really did. We saw that public funds or public guarantees weren't having conditions attached to them about how they could be used, and some businesses were just passing it through to shareholders. Um, there's a huge issue on commercial rent liability, um, and as I say, the business rates issue where we think the government needs to step in to mediate a solution. So we think there's lots that can be done, um, but for whatever reason, ministers are refusing to take a sectoral or a kind of um, uh, uh, updated approach to the rules, and they're just going ahead with these kind of one-size-fits-all one measures, which obviously leaves then gaps for people. And Liz, on our podcast, we've heard our colleague Mickey Clark make this point over and over again, that a one-size-fits-all approach just isn't effective. It isn't what's needed. And when, no, you think, and, uh, and when you think that Tesco this morning is saying that they will pay back all those millions in the 500 millions of business hmm. rates relief, I think um, that underlines what you've been saying. Yeah, and I'm pleased Tesco have you turned on that because it wasn't that long ago when the CEO of Tesco was, you know, saying to the press why they deserve to pay that out in dividends. And I was saying in the press, well, if it's the equivalent of the amount of public funding support that you've had, I'm not sure that's the case, actually. So I'm pleased they've you turned and kind of realised that they should pay that pay that back. As an aside, I understand it's very difficult to give money back to government. I've had companies in my own constituency <laughs> Um, remarkably, uh, who want to give all the money back for furlough because they didn't need it in the end. And they rang me and they said, we can't get hold of anyone. Do you know where we can send it? Um, and so the government have made it very, um, very difficult. Now, this, this, this point on one size fits all and also on fraud in the system and wasting of money. We've seen, you know, the National Audit Office say that uh, they're estimating £23 billion of fraud in the bounce back business loan scheme alone. I mean, think what you could do with £23 billion. Um, in the early phases of the pandemic, where it's a national emergency and you need to get money out the door as quickly as possible, you kind of give ministers a bit of leeway around that, right? Fair enough. But this has been going on for, you know, now nearly a year. Um, there has been feedback from civil servants, from others, all the way through saying, okay, we need to change the way these schemes are working because either it's not getting to where it's needed or there's large amounts of fraud. But for reasons entirely unbeknown to me, ministers have again refused to kind of improve the systems and are just carrying on as they are. And that's why people who have lost out in the early stages or not getting the support they need, unfortunately, continue to be in the same position. Um, you say reasons are known to you. Do you think do you think there's a lack of figures you know are we simply do we simply not have uh the evidence that shows what where the costs sit and where the benefits actually need to be well i mean there is this whole issue around economic analysis right uh, which has been in the newspapers over the last few days boris johnson um decided it would be a vote for MPs on what happened after the second national lockdown. Um, and I have sympathy with that because MPs ought to be involved in that decision making. But equally, if, you know, ministers who are in the executive in government are asking those of us in the legislature, in parliament, to make the decision, then we need the information. 
to be able to make the decision. Um, and the analysis that was dragged out of government uh, the night before the vote, uh, so on Monday night this week, was wholly inadequate. And I tried to scroll through and find the bit around economic impact assessment, especially in regions in tier three, such as my own city in Bristol. And the paragraph basically said, we don't know. And then we hear in the newspapers today that actually there's some fancy kind of economic data dashboard across the road from me here in the business department in the treasury, giving ministers and the prime minister apparently daily live briefings around the economic impact. You can't hide you can't hide those things if you want MPs to be able to take these difficult decisions. You've got to share them. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the phrase. It's the phrase. It's the phrase of 2020, isn't it? <laughs> it, it definitely is. Um, if we if we come on to uh, you know that we are where we are, unfortunately, um, and the team they all laugh at me because I am constantly wittering on about skills and jobs. Where are the new job jobs going to come from, and where? are we going to get the skills that we need to fill the jobs? And how are we going to shift the people from the hospitality sector, the events sector, wherever we're losing the jobs most into the new jobs that become available? Is there a strategy around about growth jobs, job creation? Well, well in theory, that's, that's what those of us would call an industrial strategy. It's the idea that the state understands what's going on in the broader economy, sets some priorities, and then in detail sets out how the government is going to work with business and others to get us there. Now, we have an industrial strategy. Um, we've been reviewing it on my select committee because we understand ministers are going to be rewriting it next year. But under Boris Johnson's leadership, this industrial strategy was introduced under Theresa May, but under Boris Johnson, they didn't really seem to refer to it very much or talk about it. We think now is an opportunity to um, revisit that. There are still underlying issues of the British economy on productivity and inclusivity and sustainability and the aging society and all that sort of stuff, which is still gonna be the same, uh, but we need to update it to take account for what's happening. For example, you know, the acceleration of the demise of certain brands in the retail sector on the high street, you've mentioned Acadia and Debenhams already, it will be interesting to understand whether that was primarily a COVID issue or whether it was an acceleration of underlying problems in their businesses. I, I, I think it might be more of the latter. And if that's the case, you know, where, where is the government's task force on the future of our high streets and the everyday economy? But I have to say there are some really positive examples as well. I'm really excited about the job potential from the net zero transition. We've seen the 10 point plan from the prime minister. We've got the committee on climate change um, recommendations coming out in the next few weeks. There is an enormous amount of work that needs to be done across the country in insulating our homes and changing our boilers and upgrading our transport systems and replanting trees and real rewilding part of the economy. I mean, the list kind of goes on. Um, and there are going to be some really big numbers in, in the, those assessments around what it's going to take to get us there. And I think that's a almost an Olympic style exciting opportunity for the country to say hey we've set this target of net zero by 2050 now let's all get there and we're going to bring all these people with us and provide jobs in every community across the country but a lot of those jobs could be created by small companies doing this work but they tell us uh, the same things consistently that they need help in uh, skilling people up if you're running a small business it's a big investment to train up even one of your people in a whole new range of skills and then they look at how 
the people who run their own companies have been treated during this whole coronavirus pandemic, where they've been cut off from the main planks of government support. And they're wondering, is there a future for small business in this country in the future? Does this government understand it? But well, there has to be a future for small business because in the private sector, SMEs are by far the largest employer in our economy and will continue to be so. It's where a lot of the innovation and flexibility rests in the economy. So that's a kind of non-negotiable. Um, but you're right that there's a gap, isn't there, between ministers kind of giving a speech or give, setting a target and then things being delivered. Uh, and this is you know, not just about net zero, it's about levelling up as well. And the question is, can Whitehall just pull a lever and suddenly these things happen? No. Uh, can ministers just say, okay, business people, we've set the target, go away, make it happen? N no, not always. So there's something missing in the middle. And I came up with a fascinating discussion uh, earlier today um, about the need for an Olympic style delivery body for net zero, where it was at arm's length from government, it was legislated for, it had clear funding, it was cross-party and lasted beyond elections. There was a clear outcome and involve local communities as well as a national delivery leadership mechanism that worked with businesses and brought things together. Because at the problem at the moment, the problem is, you know, is the Department of Education really putting resource behind the skills agenda for in-work training? No, they're not. Uh, the base department's got the industrial strategy, but is the Treasury really opening funding for some of these things? No, they're not. And it's this classic, deeply frustrating kind of Whitehall thing where one department is doing some stuff, another department isn't doing another, and there's no coherent leadership. So I think this kind of renewal of the economy, the net zero transaction, the post-Brexit, post-COVID drive to get everyone back into work, businesses back into business and our economy is growing, needs to be a huge national effort that could be delivered via some new kind of Olympic star delivery authorities. But just on that point, you oh, have sorry, Seb address. <laughs> 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 I was going to ask just on that point of how small businesses and people who run their own companies feel that they have been treated by government, uh, feel uh, how government sees them. Does the Treasury think of entrepreneurs as anything other than tax dodgers? Because the feeling is that's how they're being treated. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if you were to ask the Chancellor that, he would say no, uh, of course. But the, the key point is that they're going to be the um, uh, the base of our recovery. I mean, that's where the magic is going to happen, right? Um, and that's why the support is so important now through the COVID pandemic, because if you cause too much economic scarring off the back of the pandemic, because businesses close, people lose their jobs, you know, business leaders, uh, owners go and do other things, you know, our ability to recover and the speed at which we can recover is going to be longer and slower. And because we've got this Brexit thing as well, um, it's already going to be hard because we're leaving our largest trading block, um, whether with a deal or no deal, we have, we still don't know at this stage. Um, so it's already going to be very, very difficult. And, and I mean, I agree with the sentiment in your question that how we therefore support small businesses to invest, to recapitalize, to deal with the debts they've had to take on through COVID in a fair and just way, as well as making sure our policies really deliver in the real economy for people driving growth and jobs in our communities is absolutely key. But we, we've got some distance to go before we get there from where we are now. I really feel we need to be pushing for a culture change somewhere where respect for small businesses, self-employed people, you know, is it as great as it is for the bigger businesses for whom mostly they are working and bringing their skills 
uh, and filling skills gaps. But uh, on the point technology, I know you were a technology lawyer before you came uh, became an MP, so it's close to your heart. But what role should technology be be playing in all of this? And do we have those skills, those digital and technology skills that we probably need? Well, this is one of the things that, I mean, I'm pleased you've asked me because I've been rabbiting on about this largely to myself for a long time. Um, the, the, you know, it's about technology investment and it's about skills investment. And you can only, I think, deal with their underlying productivity challenges if you really drive technology adoption. And many companies have been forced to do that um, through the pandemic, you know, online shopping, online um, booking, online payments, you know, online delivery of services. Um, and we've learned a lot through that. But you know, if you if you haven't got a good broadband connection in certain parts of the country, or you know, you might be used to using Zoom now, but do you really know how to set up a website or an online booking system, or take digital payments, or produce content for your social media channels, or do e-invoicing, or you know, some of these things until you you know get told how to do them are quite complicated, and people don't really know where to start, and there isn't anywhere to go, I don't think, unless I'm wrong, at the at the moment to kind of be told how to do that, and then equally when it comes to um, uh, kind of capital investment, I think there are some changes that could be made in the treasury to make life a bit easier because capital investment, when we think about technology, isn't just, you know, buying a computer or a TV screen for the shop, it's also software. And at the moment, as I understand it, uh, some of the tax incentives for investing in physical goods are different to digital goods. And I think we probably need to change that so that we can help businesses um, to be able to, you know, bring forward the financial investment that's needed for that digital um, investment and to improve productivity and access to their businesses. Well, you're welcome to rub it on to us as much as you like about that because <laughs> it's very, very much on our agenda as well. But something else that's worrying us is the knock-on effect of the collapse of Arcadia and Debenhams because uh, it's not just about the future of the high street, it's about the future of the small businesses who've been supplying and it's about the fraying of the supply chains. Um, it's, it's a bit of like the retail version of Carillion. Or am I over-egging that particular pudding? Well, I mean, there's a whole host of interesting questions in that. I mean, the, the, the observation that you make is is absolutely right. And it's not just Arcadia and Debenhams to go back to the importance of small businesses. You know, I have a lot of advanced manufacturing in my constituency, uh, Airbus, Rolls-Royce, GKN, Boeing. You know, the supply chains for those companies are enormous. I have, I think it's over 20 SMEs in my constituency boundary alone that's in the supply chain for Airbus wings which is then obviously in the supply chain for Airbus aeroplanes. So if any of those small businesses fall over and they can't produce the bits that kind of are time critical to be able to start to kind of drive those bigger businesses, then the whole thing, you know, has, has problems. And it's the same for, you know, retail production as, and, you know, the services in stores and all of that type of stuff. And in fact, the uh, question I'm going to be asking um, uh, today uh, in the House of Commons as an urgent question on Arcadia and Debenhams is about SMEs, uh, because I think my understanding is there is a retail task force in the department, but I think it needs to be kind of massively beefed up with kind of policy steroids, because it's not just about big collapses, jobs and pensions, which are as important, you know, as a part of this discussion, but it's also about this long-term viability, small businesses and the future of our high streets that we really need to see more leadership on. And it looks like the, the suppliers may be uh, left whistling for 250 million in terms of bills that may not be repaid. Um, you correctly said that the collapse of Arcadia, the uh, liquidation of debenhams, isn't just a COVID thing. COVID was a factor, of course, but these businesses have been struggling uh, for some time. 
debt and private equity ownership as a factor uh, in this collapse as well. Are you going to hold hearings into this? Are you going to make Philip Green turn up to answer questions? So we haven't we haven't formally decided yet as a committee what we're going to do on this issue. Um, we, we are minded to do to do some work on it because we think there is this broader issue around the retail sector and support for the retail sector. If there are issues around corporate governance, um, then you know we of course reserve the right to call Sir Philip as we have done in the past on the business committee to answer questions about that. The way it, the way it tends to be, I think it might be split because there's a lot of interest in the high street in Parliament. You've got colleagues on the Work and Pensions Committee who are asking about the pensions regulator and the pensions gap. You've got colleagues in the Communities and Local Government Committee that are asking about rents and rates and high streets. Where we will come in as a business committee is on these issues of corporate governance, insolvency, administration, um, you know, support for the small business supply chain. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see us doing some work on that. But what I can't tell you today is that we formally agreed to do so. So you have to watch this space a little longer, I'm afraid. Ironically, um, in an interview long past, uh, Sir Philip was the person who taught me the value of supply chains and the importance yeah. of looking after your supply chains. Did he, uh, did he walk the talk? I don't know. Um, can we just ask you, because I know you've got to go, but can I just ask you before you go about that large elephant in the corner of the room, uh, Brexit, you mentioned it at the beginning. Mm, what's the next four weeks going to result in? I mean, I don't I don't know, which is just ridiculous. I mean, could you imagine that at this stage on the 2nd of December, when we're speaking, that we don't know what's going to be happening on the 1st of January? I mean, it's just obscene. I mean, I, you know, I, I declare my interest. I was a uh, vocal, rebellious Remainer. Um, but even I recognise now that Brexit's going to happen and we've got to make the best of it because that's the majority that the Conservatives won at the last election. But they're really making a mess of it, <laughs> as far as I can see. Um, and it's not just on trade, it's on security. Um, there are some issues, for example, we're looking at on the committee about carbon pricing and carbon trading, you know, really important things that affect businesses. Um, and Whitehall's just in a mess on it and they're not willing to agree anything. And we were supposed to have both Michael Gove and Alex Sharma before the committee next week to talk about business preparedness for Brexit. And they both refused to appear. And it does seem to be a trend because ministers are refusing to appear before any select committee before Christmas. The chancellor's refused to go to treasury. Michael Gove's refused to come to us. The business secretary's refused to come to us. And there have been others. They seem to be trying to dodge scrutiny before the end of the year, which makes me slightly worried that they know it's all gonna blow up. But I hope there's a deal that we can build on um, because if we have no deal, I mean, it's gonna put the COVID crisis um, in, in context because it's gonna be much bigger in terms of its cost to the economy. And can, the you cost send round, can you send round the heavies to make them attend? You've got the sergeant in arms, don't you? And those men in tights, can't they turn up and <laughs> compel ministers to attend? So I, I can I can send, I understand I can get Blackrod in his sword to go and kind of poke <laughs> someone into my committee room. Um, uh, which, which you know, we reserve the right to do. Um, technically, you can lock them in the tower as well, but I think it's being done up. It's got scaffolding now, so I'm not sure that's really an option. But the, the interesting thing from a committee perspective is that we have an unwritten constitution, but it's very clear that Parliament's role is to hold ministers to account and have oversight of the department. Um, that's the job I have to do. It's the job my committee has to do. Ministers have to play ball with that. They don't get a choice. 
Um, and if they continue to block us, we will, of course, summon them. And we can summon papers, data dashboards, economic assessments. We can summon as much as we want to. So it's better to play ball with the select committees than not, because otherwise it could become a bit of a major headache for ministers when they've got other things they should be focusing on. Well, with that picture <laughs> ringing in my mind. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Darren Jones, MP, for joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, and if you do need any help to give voice to the issues around small businesses and the self-employed, we're your people. Just give us a shout. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. <laughs>